He stood on the corner, handing out leaflets, sometimes pressing them into the hands of the late-night shoppers, urgency written all over his face. People pushed past barely noticing him, and of those who took a leaflet, most hardly looked at it before letting it slip from their fingers to blow in the street in the winter wind and lie ignored in the gutter. But a few read it with a spark of interest, nodding silently and tucking the leaflet into their coat pocket with a muttered promise to read it again more carefully when they got home. But few did. There was always so much else to do. And when, in a few weeks' time, the crumpled paper was found in their pocket, it was popped into the bin with a quiet shrug and never a backward glance. But one or two took the offer on the man's leaflet truly to heart. They could see and almost feel the changing opportunity when they were offered one. And it truly changed the way that they looked at all of life. What once seemed vital now seemed secondary. And what once was irrelevant now became central. And as they responded, they too became determined to share this with as many people as they could. And so, as the weeks went by, there was first 30, then 60, and then 100 new faces on the city streets, leaflets in hand. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. Well, good morning. It's great to see you. Thank you to our band for leading us this morning and bringing that new song to us. I hope you enjoyed uh, that. I thought I would start this morning's talk, this morning's sermon, um, with a meme. If you don't know what a meme is, <laughs> um, then you're either not a millennial or you don't spend all of your time on social media uh, and the internet, which is probably a good thing, don't panic. But here's the meme. Now, the reason I'm starting um, with this is because there was a study conducted two years ago by Microsoft um, that discovered that the human attention span is now officially shorter than that of a goldfish. <laughs> they surveyed 2,000 people and studied the brain activity of 112 others using electrocephalograms, which is fun to say, um, and found that since the year 2000, the average attention span has reduced from 12 seconds to just 8 seconds. Um, they believe that this is at least in part due to the way that we consume information through mobiles and the internet. So, um, if you've already switched off this morning, then hopefully you will at least remember the meme, um, which will remind you a little bit of what the story was about this morning. Um, but we don't hear as well as we used to. That's the problem. Uh, and this is certainly true in my household, particularly when I ask my children to do anything remotely useful... Um, Elijah, put on your shoes is a phrase that he seems completely unable to hear. Uh, other phrases include, please tidy your bedroom, please take off your school uniform, please put on some clothes, we have guests arriving. Um, please be nice to your sister, please stop hitting your sister, please stop calling your sister names, please hurry up, we're going to be late, uh, and please have a lion tomorrow, for goodness sake, it's Saturday, we just want some sleep, please, please, please don't get up before seven o'clock. He won't hear any of them, not a single thing. 
Um, having said that, sometimes I think that perhaps it's a genetic condition that he's got from me, um, because quite often Sean will swear that she's told me something or asked me to do something that I have no recollection of whatsoever. <laughs> so either there's a conspiracy going on or I'm not as good a listener as I thought I was. I wonder how many of us this morning will be confident enough to describe ourselves as good listeners, especially those of us with partners sitting next to us. <laughs> but how well do we listen to one another? And how well do we listen to Jesus? And that is essentially the question that is put before us this morning in today's story. It's a very, very well-known story, a very well-known parable. It appears in three out of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And because these stories are so popular, often many of us have grown up hearing about them in Sunday school or perhaps even in school assemblies, the challenge for us is not to assume that we know what these stories are all about or indeed that this story has nothing new to say to us. And I've been surprised so far in this series of the fresh insights that have come out of the stories as we've looked at them together, both on a Sunday morning and in life groups, and I hope you have as well. I want to say thank you to Tanya for bringing the story this morning and allowing us to hear it in a fresh way. I think it's really helpful to us to have that different perspective on this story. If last week's story was all about, how the, about endings, about how the kingdom of heaven is and will be like when Jesus comes back, then this week's story is all about beginnings. And um, it's about how the kingdom of heaven will begin in someone's life. We'd originally intended to put this story at the start of the series um, because of that, but because today is our harvest festival and it relies heavily on a farming metaphor, uh, we thought it would fit quite well here. So as I've already said, it appears in three of the four Gospels, but this morning I want to read it to you from the Gospel of Matthew, which is the first book in your New Testament. So if you've got your Bibles with you, uh, please would you find Matthew chapter 13. Um, And as I said uh, last week, if you do have your own Bibles, please bring them along on a Sunday so that you can begin to see how this all fits together uh, and perhaps take some notes as you go along, which should help you in your own studies. Matthew 13 contains the largest collection of Jesus' stories in one chapter, seven in total. Um, But the one we're looking at today is right at the start of the chapter. And in the NIV, it's given the title, The Parable of the Sower. And unlike many of the stories we've looked at so far in this series, this one actually comes with an explanation. Hallelujah. It's brilliant. It means that I've not had to work nearly as hard this week to figure out its meaning for you. You're going to have to dock my pay. Um, But shortly after the story, Matthew lets us be a fly on the wall as Jesus explains this parable to his followers. So this morning we're going to look at both the story and the explanation. But before we do that, we need to have a look at the context. As Kirsty Allsop would say, location, location, location. You can tell he watches daytime TV by the... Uh, What's happening? Why is Jesus telling this story? Why is he telling it now to these particular people? It's all about the context. So let's start by looking at verses 1 and 2 of Matthew 13, which say that same Day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while the people stood on the shore. So Jesus has gone to have a nice sit down by the lake, perhaps 
skim a stone or two when he spies this large crowd coming over the horizon and quickly hops into the boat, pushes out a little way and sits there as all of these people began to gather expectant on the shore. But what exactly were they expecting? Why had such a a large crowd gathered in the first place? Well, to answer that, we need to read a little bit of what was happening before this chapter. And in the previous two chapters, 11 and 12, um, what we find is that there are a whole mess of different people. And all of them are reacting to Jesus in very different ways. So at the start of chapter 11, we have John the Baptist. Some of you might remember him. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he was someone who was very sure of who Jesus was. He said things like, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. He's the one we've been waiting for. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He made these huge statements about Jesus. But now, because he's in prison, he sends his disciples to Jesus with a message asking, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else. You know, things were going pretty bad for John at the moment. He's locked away in prison and he seems to be losing a little bit of his faith that Jesus is the one they've been waiting for. A little bit further down in chapter 11, we hear about two cities, the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida, where Jesus had gone and performed many miracles. But even though he had performed all these signs and wonders, the people in these cities had wanted nothing at all to do with him. They just weren't interested, not one bit. And then in chapter 12, we have several run-ins with the Pharisees. And we learn in verse 14 that they are actually plotting how to kill Jesus. So not only rejecting him, but actively looking for a way to destroy him. But it's not all doom and gloom. There are others. In um, verse 15 of chapter 12, we're told that there are many who follow him, many that go after him. And in verse 23, we find there are others still who are searching, asking things like, could this be the son of David? That's another way of saying, is this the Messiah? Is this one we've been waiting for? Could it be him? Maybe, maybe not. Let's listen and find out. And so by the time we get to chapter 13, and Jesus is standing in the boat or sitting in the boat on the lake, looking back at the crowds, he knows the kinds of people that have come to see him. There may be people in that crowd that have been following him for quite some time, but you know, maybe they're not so sure as they once were. Maybe Jesus said something and now they're not quite sure. He also knows that there are those in the crowd and no matter what he says, no matter what he does, they're not going to be interested. They're not going to believe him. He knows that there are people in the crowd actually that hate him that are vehemently opposed to his teaching and they're currently trying to find a way to lynch him. He also knows that in the crowd are people who are unsure about him. They, they recognize that there's something in this, but maybe there's other options to be explored as well. And he also knows that in the crowd there are people who love him, people that are, are desperate to hear from him, that will follow him no matter what. And so this is, this is this brilliant picture for us because it's very similar to how things are today. I know this happened 2,000 years ago, but honestly, when it comes to Jesus, people are pretty much the same, right? There are those whose hearts are close to him completely, who want nothing at all to do with him. Perhaps they've been hurt by church or an individual or just life in general, and they, they're closed off to the idea that Jesus could love them and Jesus could make a difference in their lives. 
Or maybe there was no hurt. You know, maybe life is good. They've just come to an intellectual decision that Jesus was nothing more than a man who had some, some nice ideas. And they won't be convinced otherwise. And then there are those that perhaps believed in their youth when life was simple and they were more naive. But now that life is tough and they are wiser, they're not so sure. And then there are those that are searching, those that, who think there may be something to this Jesus, but you know, possibly there are other avenues worth exploring as well. And of course, there are those who would say that their lives have been transformed through a real living relationship with Jesus. They would refer to him as their personal Lord and Saviour. And here they all are, standing on the shore, staring at Jesus. I wonder how many different types of people we have here this morning. I actually have a rowboat in the garden. I was a little bit tempted to drag it in this morning just for, to be authentic. But what does Jesus say? How is he going to respond to this crowd of people? Well, he clears his throat. <clears throat> and then in verse 3, this is what he says. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. What? I mean, what? You know, whereas once there was this crowd displaying this mixed emotion, some interested, some bemused, some angry, now they just had all the same expression, confusion. Farmers? What? Seeds? Birds? Weeds? Whoever has ears, let them hear. We've all got ears, haven't we? Have we? I like to imagine them all checking the sides of their head at that point, just to be sure. Because even, even the disciples, as they listen to this story, they don't really get it. That's why they come to him in verse 10 and they say, Why are you speaking in parables, Jesus? What's going on? Why are you doing this? And Jesus, of course, replies with the verse that we've looked at several times so far in this series, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. In other words, whoever's heart is closed to my message, this isn't going to make any sense to them whatsoever. And in fact, he goes on to quote the prophet Isaiah in verse 14. He says, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be seeing but not perceiving, for this people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn. And I would heal them. See with their ears, hear with their heart, hear with their ears, see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts. Here's a really good um, little fact for you. In Hebrew, the language this quote was originally written in, there is no word for the brain. They believe that all of a human's intellectual activity took place in your heart. You know and you understand things in your heart. Not in your mind, but in your heart. That's why we get um, verses like Proverbs 4.23, which says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And so Jesus' point is that a person's ability to see and hear his message 
depends very much on the condition of their heart. And he tells this story of the sower in order to paint a picture of the condition of people's hearts and to show us what kind of heart is required in order to receive his message. So let's have a look at Jesus' explanation of his story. Although the story is called The Power of the Sower, Jesus, of course, didn't give it that title. That was added later. Um, I think if perhaps he had, it may have been called The Parable of the Soil, because the soil is the thing that's variable. It's the thing that changes. And the focus is not really on the man doing the sowing, is it? It's on what happens to the seed as it lands into different soils. And for his original audience, the people listening, this would have been a very familiar scene for them. Most of them listening would have been farmers or had farmers in um, their family or or, or, um, they would have known farmers in a very clear frame of reference for them. We don't know a lot about farming, most of us these days. I think we assume food magically appears on the shelves at Aldi um, or M&S if you're posh. Um, But back then, farming was a way of life for them. But of course, the story is about so much more than farming. We know from verse 13 and we know from previous weeks that Jesus' stories were mostly about the kingdom of heaven, right? Hopefully that's going in now. Um, Matthew refers to it as the kingdom of heaven. Mark and Luke, they call it the kingdom of God, but it's the same thing. And as we know from previous weeks, for Jesus, um, the kingdom of heaven wasn't an abstract concept. It wasn't some magical far-off land that we fly to when we die, but it was a new way of living here and now. He told his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It was, thank you, it was a revolutionary way of living, a new way of being human. Um, And his story has helped his followers understand what that kingdom looked like. So, so far in this series, we've had stories of love that knows no boundaries, goes beyond political and religious divides. We've had stories of grace that treats everyone the same, no matter of when they come. And faith that, that moves us into action, a responsibility for Jesus' followers to take his word uh, and multiply it in the world. Check out the podcast if you missed any. But this story is a little bit different. Rather than being about what the kingdom of heaven is like, this story tells us what's required of us for the kingdom of heaven to take root in our lives. This is a deeply personal story. So in verse 18, Jesus says, Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. Anyone who hears the message about the kingdom And does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So the seed represents not the kingdom itself, but the message of the kingdom. And I think it's really interesting that Jesus uses sowing seed to describe the way that the message of the kingdom is delivered. Because sowing seed is surely not the most effective way of getting your message out there. I suppose it's a bit like his stories. They require some time and some energy in order to grow in our understanding. You know, if you want someone to come round to your way of thinking, then it's better to make clear, bold statements, surely. Donald Trump is a big fan of Twitter, isn't he, for communicating Um, his thoughts to the world, it's quick and it's concise. He would use slogans and propaganda and compassionate speeches and rally cries. They can take our lives, but they can never take our freedom. You know, William Wallace style. 
Sorry about my Scottish accent. Um, but Jesus' message isn't like that. It's not, a, it's not a forceful message. It's gentle. And it only grows if it's given the right opportunity to do so. You know, the message itself is, is quite simple. You find it through um, the Gospels in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. It says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Turn away. Turn away from the life that you've been living and come to me, because I've got this new way of life that I want to show you. In Matthew 9, 35, it says that Jesus went through all of the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom healing every kind of sickness and disease. And he spreads the seed as wide as it will go, telling many people as he possibly can, but knowing even then that not everybody was going to receive this message. And this story tells us why. So the seed in the message is the message, but what about the soils? Well, in the story, the first lot of seed falls on hard ground. (laughs) well-trodden ground, compacted by many years of people walking the edges of the fields. And any seed that would have fallen there would have had little chance of finding its way into the ground, most likely sitting on the surface to be blown away by the wind or snatched up by birds hovering overhead looking for an easy snack. And Jesus describes this sort of soil as those who would hear the word but would not understand it. As my mother used to say, it goes in one ear and out the other. And essentially, what Jesus is describing here is those who have a hard heart. You know, a hard heart is often found in people who have been hurt or disappointed in their lives. And they harden their heart to avoid further pain or suffering, often becoming cynical or or bitter or suspicious in the process. Very often so wrapped up in what has been done to them that they become closed off to any possibility of good news or a better life. A hard heart is also found in those who are caught up in sin, those who have no desire to leave the life that they are living. John 3.19 says that light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their evil deeds will be exposed. Essentially, I'm not interested in what Jesus is offering. I'm not interested in this new way of living because I don't want him to tell me that what I'm doing is wrong. I don't want him poking his nose into my business. Thank you very much. But the trouble is, when we reject Jesus' message, the story tells us that we leave ourselves open to other forces at work in the world. Forces that will take us away from the light and ultimately will cause us to miss out on this new life, this new opportunity that Jesus has put before us. A hard heart will not even consider Jesus' message. Then Jesus explains the seed that falls on rocky ground. So this isn't a bunch of rocks so much as it's a thin top soil with rocks underneath. And the seed actually goes into the soil and it even begins to grow. But because it has shallow roots, when the sun comes up and dries up the earth, it has no means of sustaining itself and it withers and it dies. And this, I think, is the shallow heart. Jesus tells his followers that the sun in the story represents trouble and persecution. 
And trouble can come into our lives in all sorts of ways. It might be uh, the loss of a job, or it might be a misunderstanding with a a friend, or perhaps it's a a serious illness. Or maybe it's a, a death of someone close to us, or perhaps a relationship that turns sour. And in those dark times of life that we all go through, our faith can sustain us. But if it's shallow, if it's the kind of faith that only believes when everything is going well, then the chances are it will be the first thing to go. Later, Paul writes to the Colossians, Just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. And you know, a deep faith can sustain us, but a shallow, a superficial faith quickly falls apart when trouble comes. The next soil that Jesus explains is the thorny soil. And this represents, I think, a strangled heart. You know, the soil was fertile, perhaps a little too fertile because the thorns begin to spread among the plants, choking them as they grow and sapping all the nutrients out of the earth, towering above them and blocking out the sunlight. And Jesus describes these thorns as the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. And I think that worries and riches have the same result in our lives in that they take control away from God. You know, worry creeps in when we stop trusting that God is in control. Earlier in the book of Matthew, Jesus tells his followers, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, for the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father, he knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be given to you as well. Check your priorities. Come after my kingdom first and don't let the worries of your old life get on top of you and crush you and paralyze you. Riches, on the other hand, they tell us, don't trust God, trust me. If you accumulate enough wealth, if you get enough things, if you have enough stuff, then you'll be set for life. You'll be happy from this point onwards. I'll look after you, I'll keep you safe. But of course, money is a a fickle master. Here today and gone tomorrow, it doesn't make a very good God. Jesus told another story to illustrate this point in Luke 12 about a rich man who had so much wealth, he knocked down his barns and built bigger ones, planning to live off the excess for the rest of his life, to eat and drink and be merry. But God says to him, you're a fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you, and then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And he finishes the story by saying, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Where is your treasure? Is it in things or is it in God? Of course, there are other thorns that can grow in our lives. Things like bitterness or jealousy, unforgiveness, anger, hatred. You know, when we allow these things to take root and to grow in our life alongside our faith, they stunt our growth. And as Jesus said, we become unfruitful, not able to produce a good crop. The final soil, the good soil then, I think, should be thought of as the open heart. 
And this soil is ready to receive the seed. It's soft, it's deep, it's free from weeds or thorns. And Jesus says it represents those who hear the message, but not only hear it, they understand it. They take it into their hearts and it, it grows and it becomes transformative in their lives. And you know, you can identify someone whose life is open to Jesus because you can see the result. There is a change in them. Jesus talks about it being 160 or 30 times what was sown. There is evidence in their life. And actually, Paul talks about the difference of those whose hearts are open later in his, Galat- uh, his letter to the Galatians when he writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. He says this is what's going to grow in your life. This is what being a part of the kingdom looks like. If you are open, if your heart is ready to receive the message of Jesus, then this is the kind of harvest, this is the kind of crop that you will produce. And this morning, you know, if we're struggling in any of those areas particularly, I mean, let's be honest, I'm sure we're all struggling with at least one of those things, then maybe there is a challenge for us here this morning. Maybe we need to ask ourselves, what is growing in our lives? Is it more love? Is it more joy, more kindness? Are we becoming more faithful and gentle and self-controlled? Or is there something else that's affecting our growth? Is there something else that's stopping us? And that's it. That's the story. Jesus then moves on to tell lots of other stories that you can look at in your own time. But where does this story leave us? What are we to take away from this this morning? I guess we should come back to the meme. Have we been listening? Are our hearts open to the message of Jesus this morning? And if not, then why not? And it might have been this morning uh, as I've been talking and you've been thinking and reflecting on that story that you recognize that you are a type of soil. You know that that's you, that maybe God is just saying to you this morning, yeah, you know what, that's where you are this morning. And it might be that we have some work to do because we don't remain one type of soil for the rest of our lives. We can change Hard soil can be softened. You know, even the smallest crack can allow a seed to get in. Roots can be grown deeper. Thorns can be uprooted if we're prepared to do something about it. If we're prepared to be challenged by Jesus this morning. And I also think it would be a mistake for us to assume that we're just one type of soil. You know, we can have a hardness of heart and we can have a a couple of thorns to boot. Some of us might have some serious gardening to do this week. But you know, it's worth it. It's so worth it because the promise of this story is that if we open ourselves up to living for Jesus, then he produces out of our life a great, great harvest. 160, 30 times what was sown. And so this morning, I just want to leave you in your own personal walk with Jesus, or maybe if you don't even know Jesus, with that challenge. Where are you this morning? What kind of soil are you? What things are perhaps in your life that shouldn't be there? What weeds or thorns? Or, or have you perhaps not gone deep enough? Maybe you just said, yeah, I'm a Christian a long time ago, and you haven't allowed those roots to grow. You haven't learnt more. You haven't worshipped or studied or prayed more. Maybe there isn't much of God in your life beyond a Sunday morning. Maybe that's 
you needing to go a little bit deeper. And maybe this morning you've never allowed yourself to be open to this message at all. Maybe you've just had a, a hard heart towards faith, towards Christianity. I would encourage you, soften your heart and listen and learn from Jesus because honestly, it's the best possible way of living. And I would just also finally say to you this morning, if um, as we've been speaking and uh, you know, having this time together, you feel that God has challenged you on something or brought something to the surface for you, then let us pray with you at the end of the service. Or if you, know, you ask one of your Christian friends to pray with you as well. Because we can support each other in our walks and our journeys with Jesus. Okay? Good. Let's just uh, close in prayer before the band come back up to lead us again. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that we would be open to your message. Father, we would be open to you working in our lives and producing a wonderful harvest out of our lives. Father, I pray that you would reveal to us where there is gardening to be done. Father, perhaps where we've allowed a situation to to cause our heart to become hard towards the things that you want for us. Or maybe, God, we just haven't gone deep enough with you. We're aware that that at one stage we were going for it with you 100% and now not so much. Now we've we've allowed other things to, to creep in. We've got busy and we've forgotten to keep growing our roots. Or Father, maybe there's just things that have crept into our life that shouldn't be there. Thorns, as it were. Maybe it's worries. Maybe we're, we're scared about a situation or, or, or a problem that we're facing. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe there's just a root there that we can see growing and taking over our lives. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to take it out so that we continue to grow deeper into you. In Jesus' name, amen.